Thank you for joining Resurrection Lutheran Church this Sunday morning, giving praise with us for God's blessings of music, prayer, and scripture. I, Pastor Karen Perkins, will be sharing a message of grace, forgiveness, and hope. All of the worship leaders welcome you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. Let us pray. O God, through suffering and rejection, you bring forth our salvation. And by the glory of the cross, you transform our lives. Grant that for the sake of the gospel, we may turn from the lure of evil, take up our cross, and follow your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen.
So today for our children's message, I want to talk about words. We heard um, a little bit from James in the second reading, and I'm going to point out um, a reading from James chapter 3, verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, if anyone here has started a fire or watched somebody else start a fire, you know that it doesn't take a blowtorch. It just takes a small spark when you have good kindling. Most forest fires are not created by a large fire. They're usually started by ashes and sparks. Now, forest fires are not a good thing. And in this reading, they're used to point out how using our tongues to say things to others could also not be a good thing. If we talk down to others or talk poorly about others, that's just as bad as a forest fire. In this reading, we hear that we need to be mindful on how we use our tongues. We should only speak well of and to others. And this is especially true as a church. When we talk to others and about others, we should be reflecting Jesus and his message. We are seen as the church, as individuals, and we should reflect that. Our words are powerful, and we need to use them wisely for telling the truth, lifting up others, rather than bringing them down. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for giving us our voices. May we use them to spread love and your words, lifting others up in your name. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So this this Sunday we focus on the cross. 
And one of the exercises that uh, is suggested as a possible kid sermon or, or an exercise for people is to look around the sanctuary and see how many crosses you can count. You're invited to do that uh, during the service, um, especially if you can multitask. But uh, see how many crosses we have, because it's such a powerful symbol in our lives, in our generation. Remember the purpose of the cross was as a device of execution. And it was the least honorable type of execution. I don't know about the least, but one of the lowest in terms of honor. It was, it was a shameful, um, degenerate way to be executed. Yes, there were levels of execution and how you could be Executed, And so the cross was, Jesus is talking about going to the cross. It's not just about being tortured and killed. And then we a lot of times emphasize the language of lifted up. But it's also about being disgraced. Absolutely, completely disgraced. So, I wear a cross. I wear a cross not just during worship, but I wear a cross all the time. And a lot of us do, and, and hold on to the cross as, as a life-giving symbol, which it is because, of course, we know that Jesus took on that, agreed to take it on, despite some misgivings, and, and was raised and loves us into that. So it's, it's a life-giving symbol, but, but it has this horrible, horrible sense of origin, and it wasn't until um, oh, sh Constantine? I think it was Constantine. I don't know, so somewhere in the mid-400s. Uh, basically, eliminated crucifixion as, as a legal form of execution in the Roman Empire, and legalized Christianity, that the cross started to take on, publicly, different connotations. One of the emphasis in this passage, besides being a cross, talking physically about Jesus going to the cross, is that it's a, it's a passage of intersections. So when it says that Jesus is going to Caesarea Philippi, it's on the border. It's on the border of Galilee in Judea and a mixed community of both Jews and Gentiles, or Jews and Roman citizens, and, and others who are part of the Roman legal system. So this is Jesus preaching on the borderland to both of those who would have known this history of Elijah. And um, some say Elijah, some say John the, Baptist. John the Baptist, thank you. Others might have known about John the Baptist, but certainly Elijah was Jewish prophet. And so those who had no interest in Judaism, Elijah would not have been particularly important to them. And so there's that intersection. There's also this intersection of the story of, of where, where the movement of the story is going. I sometimes think that if 
even, even though I realized that Andrew Lloyd Webber was able to do it. Making a musical out of the Jesus story is, is, uh, would be really difficult because in musicals, uh, I was really into musical theater, but in musicals, you know, you have an introductory number that draws you in, and then you have some group numbers, and then you have some ballads that have some of the most profound lyrics, and then right before intermission, there's something that, you know, usually has most of the cast in it, and it's not quite the finale, but it's got a lot of energy, makes you want to come back after the intermission. And then after the iteration, there's some heavy stuff, downer stuff. Usually that's where you have your major downer stuff. And then there's some big change, and everything comes to the finale. Okay, basic, basic trajectory of a musical. Well, here's Jesus coming right up to the intermission. Talking about what? Death. Death. Suffering and death. If you're going to follow me, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go, I'm going to be rejected by this group and this group and this group, some of whom were already annoying. And despite the fact that you labeled me as Messiah, which you were expecting to be this, this king that was going to overthrow the bondage to the Romans, we're going to be rejected. And then I'm going to be crucified. It's going to be miserable. You're going to be threatened and scattered, and then on the third day, I'm going to be raised. Okay, yeah, that's finale material, but this is not a good place to head into intermission, right? This is not, I, I mean, I'm assuming if, if, if we didn't know where the finale was happening, a lot of us would come to the intermission and not really be interested in coming back. It's kind of a downer. Kind of. It's a downer. It's an intersection. Saying, yes, I've been healing. Yes, I've been performing these miracles. Yes, we've been getting a lot of attention. Yes, we're starting to annoy some of the leaders. Mostly so far, it's been reputable stuff and, and easily defensible behaviors. Well, now we're going to start to get in more and more trouble. And I'm not going to change that path, which is where Peter comes in. This is not a good plan, Jesus. Peter, this is an intersection for Peter, because it says in the introduction, Peter is the first person to identify Jesus as the Messiah in the gospel, according to Mark. Immediately, uh, we say that you're Messiah, the anointed one, sent by God. And then, no, 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 you're wrong. Jesus, let's talk in private. This is not really where you want to go. So he gets affirmed for, for recognizing Jesus as the Messiah and rebuked as the Satan or being led astray by Satan. Again, this is hy biblical hyperbole, but being led astray by Satan. This is the intersection of worldly and sacred things. Don't set your mind on worldly things. We all do it because we live in a world. But worldly rewards of reputation, of 
affluence, of power, of name the things that we, we like, abundance and indulgence. When those are our goals, we're focusing on satisfying who? Okay, I just gestured this way, so not, not me, we're ourselves, yes. We're not all focused on satisfying me, that'd be interesting. But we're, we're focused on satisfying ourselves, right? And those are the worldly things. Churches do it too, there was a, there was a good reflection on somebody's blog about churches focusing on worldly things post-pandemic or at this point in the pandemic. Asking the question, how do we get people to come back to church? That is a worldly question. How do we get people to come back to church? Because that's about what do we see as a comfortable, familiar way to worship. A similar but shifted question is how do we find out who's not connected with the gospel, with the community? And how do we ensure that they get reconnected? One serves our comfort zone. The other is about serving each other. When I talked about God's work our hands, the service and worship components of being church, that's an intersection as well. Worship is focused on God. Giving, giving our tithes, that's focused on God. That's an act of worship. It's focused on God. Service we do in the name of God and because of God's love, but that's focused usually on those that we serve. Both pieces are important. Both pieces are part of this intersection. But it's important to recognize also where the shift is and where we're tempted to take the easy route, as Peter was tempted to do, where we're, where we're tempted to go the comfortable way, the, safe, the way that feels safe to us. And then there's this bit about shame. Now, I'm going to really super oversimplify a sociological concept, which I do a lot anyway, but shame and guilt are defining, in some cases, for cultures, for behaviors, for standards. They're similar, but they're not the same. And so again, an oversimplification is guilt is about what we do. If I do something wrong, I am guilty. I repent, confess, am forgiven. Might have human consequences, but that's, that's guilt. That's about, that's about action, doing wrong. Shame is much more tied to identity. Because shame reflects on, sometimes on our ancestors, sometimes on our communities, sometimes on our educational institutions, often on our churches. Shame contaminates not just us, but each other. Because the reality is we are all influenced by the circumstances that train us. But some of you may have even said the words, I didn't raise you like this. Some of you may have heard the words, I didn't raise you. Anybody besides me 
Okay, I guess not. Um, but I didn't raise you like this. You know why? Because that means that I am reflecting badly on the ones who raised me or who taught me or who said this is okay. Shame, shame contaminates. I'm ashamed of you is a phrase we say. There's not an equivalent of I'm a guilt of you. Not that we can't, not that there's no overlap. But Jesus talks about being ashamed of Jesus because Jesus is going to a death that is shameful. Jesus is going to piss off everybody because he's going to call everybody on the stuff that they're doing that they know they ought not be doing and the stuff that they're failing to do that they know scripture calls them to do and the prophets call them to do and God calls them to do. But there's this conjunction of being ashamed. If we're ashamed of Jesus, and by the way, I think this, this verse is abused a lot in email, but if we're ashamed of Jesus, it touches each other. Much like Amanda talked about in the children's sermon about reflecting on the church. It affects what people think of Christ. It affects what people think of our community. And it says Jesus will be ashamed of us. Now, fortunately, Jesus is, is also there with grace. Because just as guilt can be forgiven, shame can be redeemed. We can be converted. And that forgiveness also, to continue with the metaphor, contaminates each other. That forgiveness touches each other, not like a, a, a guilt that is just an individual action or a forgiveness of an individual. Thank you for saying you're sorry. But the forgiveness, the grace, starts to touch each other as well. So we're called to be conscious that even, even though there are days where we're going to be Peter right there, Jesus, you are the Messiah. I, you know, following Jesus. There can easily be just the next moment, those times where we stumble and we catch ourselves or somebody else catches us, going out of bounds and being rebuked. Know that... Since Jesus' story doesn't end at the cross, ours doesn't end with shame. Ours doesn't end with the brokenness. If we go all the way through the story, we're baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're claimed into that end of times resurrection. Catch yourself at the intersections. Those times that don't quite feel right. Or if, if you're thinking about shame, stuff you wouldn't want your mom to know about. Or your boss, or your bishop, or you know, somebody sitting on the pew with you. And, and know that there is the rest of the story. 
And then pray for the courage to go with Jesus. Because it's tough, but we are promised that it's worth it. I invite you to celebrate this week that promise and the gift of having course corrections. Coming to those points where there's a shift. May we all be shifted a little bit this week. Made children and heirs of God's promise, we pray for the church, the world, and all in need. Revealing God, you made yourself known through bread and wine, water and word. Continue to nurture your church, that it is a place where your presence is experienced and shared. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Creating God, you brought life into being and called it good. Bring new creation to lands devastated by tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, fires, and other disasters. Restore forests and curb overflowing waters. Cool the planet, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Protecting God, you desire all people to live in peace and safety. Provide for all who are in danger. Strengthen first responders to help meet to the complex needs of others. Provide care and compassion as they face trauma themselves. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. prayer. Transforming God, you announce release to the captives and freedom to the, to the oppressed. Break chains of discrimination and justice. Amplify voices that go unheard and inspire us to advocate for those who are overlooked. Fill us with compassion for those who have fled those who have served, and those who have been left in Afghanistan. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Forming God, you gather this community together. Shape our communal life that in, your, in our prayer, praise, and worship, we honor you and encourage one another. Keep our disagreements civil and increase our joy in working together. Lord, in your mercy, hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Discipling God, bless the leadership and ministries of this church, especially Bishop Elizabeth Eaton, Alaska Synod Bishop Shelley Wickstrom, and Bishop Terry Brandt of our sister synod, the Alaska Southeast Cluster, Pastor Karen Perkins of Trinity Lutheran Church Anchorage. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. These prayers, O God, and those in our hearts known only to you, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is the part of our service where we lift up our gifts to God. We offer ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Members, of course, are encouraged to give our regular tithes and offerings through an assigned number, and we have regular vehicles for doing that. You're invited to go to our website and use PayPal or one of the other donate buttons that we have on the website. You can make a special offering to the RLC on KINY ministry, which helps keep this on the air, or to the RLC food pantry, or to Juno Live, which helps with community outreach. You're also more than welcome to come by in person or make a food donation. We Encourage people also to be involved with the community and appreciate volunteers. All of these things are gathered together 
in song and prayer. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our, Our Father, who art, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let us announce together. The mission, the mission of Resurrection Lutheran Church is to promote spiritual growth in Christ and service to all people. People of God, you are Christ's body, bringing new life into a suffering world. The Holy Trinity, one God, bless you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. The living word dwells in you. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. To God has been an abridged worship service of Resurrection Lutheran Church. You are welcome to join us for worship in person on Sunday mornings at 9.30. We are located at 740 West 10th Street in downtown Juneau. Our phone number is 586-2380. More information about our location, parking lot, current COVID policy, and other contact information is available on our website at rlcjuno.org. The website is also the best way to learn about what events are happening with the community outreach ministry, Juno Live. With a vital food pantry, bell choir, quilting group, Bible study, and others, there may be a ministry here just for you. Come and see.